It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today, our guest is Jimmy Greenfield, who is the owner and director of a unique and rather special venue in Brooklyn, New York, called the Soapbox Gallery. It's dedicated to presenting music, performance, and the works of art that engage the issues of our time. Thank you for joining us here on All That's Jazz. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So did I pretty much cover that in the introduction? Is that a good summation of who and what you are? It's a very good summation, and it's, a, it's an open summation. You know, music is a very expansive force, and it's kind of the priority right now of the space, and it's a way to build a community and to get people engaged. Art as well, maybe a little more static, you know, fine art, certainly. But the intention is to, to widen it and to include conversation. And so the music becomes this wonderful way to engage a lot of people who are hopefully a very eclectic group of folks who then can sort of be engaged in conversation that takes into consideration all the different points of view, but is couched in such a way to try to create some kind of consensus. Let me ask you a question uh, as, as we roll into our conversation here today. Would you consider Soapbox Gallery a music venue that happens to be an art gallery or just the opposite? It's, it's absolutely that. It's a, it's a music venue that happens to be an art gallery, yes. And, the, and the, the possibility of working those two things together is very exciting. So tell me about some of the beginnings of this. Uh, you're originally from Poughkeepsie, New York, I believe. That's right. And how did you get involved on a path to take you to where you are today? Is there, first of all, music in your background, or was it primarily working through the arts? As an artist yourself, I believe you are a metal sculptor or in a whole variety of, of sculpture? Well, it's, it's a pretty circuitous uh, journey, actually. I came to New York in the 70s. I lived in Soho. I got displaced. I came to Brooklyn. At the time, right before coming to New York, I got exposed to folkloric music, Afro-Cuban folkloric music. And when I got to New York, got deeply involved in, in starting to play learning and starting to play percussion. And by happenstance, and got very deeply involved in the religious music associated with Santeria. And in 1980, when there was the Mariel boat lift, all of a sudden, New York was flooded with extraordinary percussionists who were all deeply involved in that tradition. And so I was able to, I was very lucky in, in being able to make connection with an amazing drummer who then, you know, I studied with and then ended up playing in what he what, what was called his Anya, which was his crew of drummers and played in these ceremonies. So I'm bringing that up to say that, yes, in that instance, I had music as in my background, my own background, though I was playing exclusively in the ceremonies. I wasn't playing on the bandstand. I had no interest in that. It was really just kind of being within that context of the ceremonial music. My brother's a saxophonist, so I had that. I have other you know, uh, relatives in my family who are in music. And I grew up in a household that, that had a great love of music. So that was a background. In terms of, of how I got involved with this whole thing, when I 
lost the loft that I had in Soho, I realized that, you know, I better be able to purchase a place. And so I came to Brooklyn and I was able to buy a garage where I live now. And it was just an empty building with four walls. And I just over a period of time built that out. And, um, and it was my studio. And then at some years later, I uh, was able to purchase the building at Dean Street, which is where the Soapbox Gallery is. And that was my studio for many, many years. And then um, in 2006, I created, I, wa- I, was, I was very interested in, in social narrative work and wanted to explore and try to build a community of artists who were you know, fully engaged in trying to make work that had a, a social relevance, you know, not being pedantic, but trying to engage them and, and, and sort of challenge them to make work that was open-ended in a formal artistic way, but had a very distinctive and clear message about where we were on the planet and trying to engage people with different medium to do that. And so I created in 2006 Soapbox Gallery and Soapbox Gallery was the front end of the ground floor of the building that I bought that was became sort of like a, a glass enclosure so that the intention was to create a gallery turned inside out. And the idea being that you could then impose work onto the street. And if it was set up in a installed in a very formal art way in a neighborhood where nothing like that existed, then at night when it's lit properly, people would be walking by the building and they would have the experience of the art sort of coming to them unexpectedly. And that I felt would be a way to get the work to sort of penetrate deeply into the psyche of the people who are watching it because they didn't have the same filter system and sensor system that we all sort of engage with when we go into a gallery or when we go into a museum. You know, we sort of set ourselves up as, okay, now we're going to go see art. And psychologically and emotionally, we sort of create these filters through which we're now seeing the work. Whereas when the work is imposed in an unexpected location and done in a very formalistic way, then it really does have the way, the possibility of getting into you in a really profound way. And so I ran that for nine years and I had an artist every two weeks. So there was a lot of chatter around the space and people would sort of make a journey out to the to the building to see what was happening on a regular basis because everybody began to know that there was this sort of firmament happening and there were there was all this attention to the possibility of making work that that could become the 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 you know the germ of, of a lot of conversation and it was wonderful and exhausting and so after nine years I sort of put that away but I still had the concept of soapbox gallery which I wanted to continue and I also found that that at a certain point it became more and more static you know people would show up for the openings and they would they would engage in a very short sort of time period and then people would the the essence of it people would not follow through in the whole two week period so it was like you know the the beginning would spike and then the follow through was not there and at the time i i was approached by a group called the Brooklyn Raga Massive this incredible group of of really dedicated and very very wonderful musicians who play Indian classical music in the neighborhood of Prospect uh, Prospect Heights where the the uh, property is and i started producing shows where when their masters would come to America to play at Carnegie Hall or at the White House or, you know, amazing venues, 
they would stop and they would do these much smaller, more intimate concerts at Soapbox Gallery. And I began to really get the bug and feel like that was an amazing way to get different communities of people together. And if it was an eclectic survey of music, then it was a way to really get people in the room together who were not of the same political persuasion necessarily or sexual persuasion or anything. It it became a a way to get a lot of different types of people into the room together and then seed in that room conversation. So there would be conversation that would happen before, at some point during perhaps, and certainly at the end that was inspired maybe by the music, but was not limited just to the experience of being there as an audience member and found that to be really wonderful. And um, and then the neighborhood became better well-known and because I didn't have the correct permitting for a gathering space, I took a break and I went to the, the you know, file papers in the city and did a whole renovation. And, you know, an amazing piano came to me and all of a sudden things began to shift and I began to realize that I, more and more I wanted to pursue as well world music, but jazz and uh, and classical music. And so during the pandemic, I sort of set the place up with this infrastructure that would be able to be used for streaming. I was very interested in, in pursuing the possibility of creating really high quality streams so that the audience wasn't limited to the 70 people that I was allowed to have in the space at any one time, but that I could stream this stuff worldwide. And then COVID happened and um, I I shut down for about three weeks. And then I started to do streaming of just musicians in the space. And, um, you know, went through the learning curve of of how to produce really good streams. And, you know, one thing led to another and more and more musicians heard about the place. And then of course, with the relaxations, I'm now having an audience up to 40 people, all everybody masked, the, the protocols in place and so forth but um, and doing both as a hybrid. Is that deed restricted to 40 people? No, it's, it's, the space is restricted to 74 people because I, I, I don't have a sprinkler system, but the, I, I, I put it at 40 people because there's a certain amount of space and as well it provides me with ample room to do the camera work that I wanted to do. So um, it's, it's a very beautifully... Um, acoustic, beautiful room, and it's a it's an in, it's a really intimate space. It's a kind of creative sanctuary that is really, you know, I I love doing it, and I I give a lot of love to all of the musicians who show up because it's just it's my, in my nature. But it's it's really the intention is to create a space that provides for them the opportunity to create the music that's in the ideal environment, and hopefully through that inspire them to to dig as deep as they possibly can to create the most beautiful music they can. So there are still pieces of artwork on display or in exhibition at the gallery. Is that an ongoing thing? Yes, there are. Mostly my own at this point. Um, and I've just sort of gotten to the place where um, the soapbox window, which is the original uh, uh, space that I had created initially, um, that's still in place and exactly as it was. And I'm beginning to, to put out feelers for, you know, provocative social work that I could install in that space. So I'm on the inside, it's a lot, it's a little bit more dicey because there are insurance issues. And I find that 
when people are sort of congregating, they, they, although they love the work um, and they love to look at the work, they may not be as sensitive to, especially with sculpture that takes up a certain amount of physical real estate. Um, they may not be as sensitive to the fact that it's art and it shouldn't be leaned on and it shouldn't be bumped up against. It's quite incredible that you could, I've had to, and not only with my own work, but, you know, say, excuse me, you know, you're leaning on a painting. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. And it's just, but of course, it's the distraction of they're in a space that they've just heard some beautiful music and they're, they're, you know, trying to sort of keep it all together and they may inadvertently lean up against the piece of art. Tell me about the name, the Soapbox Gallery. You know, there, there's a mission statement that I, I wrote a long time ago, and it talks about this humble soapbox and the, the, the power that it has and the realization that the entire evolution of, 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 social, of our social contract comes from the ground up. And it all starts from, you know, what we call soapbox oratory or street corner oratory, where somebody comes with an impassioned idea and, you know, rarefies the way that they express themselves and gets up on a, on a soapbox, a humble little box that gives them six or, six or eight inches above everybody else's head. And they begin to just kind of extemporaneously share a passionate point of view and the crowd gathers and lo and behold, one thing leads to another. And that person is sort of selected as a spokesperson. And then, you know, there's a following and it grows and it grows. And, and you know, all of the good things of this country have come as a result of that, that process. And so I, I don't remember when, but probably in, you know, in the beginning of, of 2000, I just became so much more aware of the precipice that that we're standing on as human beings in this in this world, and not in a in a strident way, not in a in a, a doomsday sense, but this thrill that we're all on the planet together at this most amazing juncture of of looking out and trying to decide well what's going to happen to us, and are we going to participate in our own survival, or are we just going to you know let it let 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 the demise happen, and so. You know, I kind of zeroed in on that notion of the power of a soapbox because I feel like we all instinctively know what the right answer is. But how do you elicit that and how do you coax people into really getting engaged? And so the most obvious thing is to have people who are really great communicators standing on their soapboxes and being encouraged to stand on their soapboxes. And get out there and really like, you know, shake the stick and get people inspired to do it, you know. And so it, that, you know, in terms of the ethos of the space and the direction of, of what I want to go, the direction that I'm wanting to go in, music is a very, very vital part of it, but it's only a part of it. And so the whole notion of, of a soapbox and expanding that and actually changing it from a, a noun, a soapbox to a verb to go in soapbox, you know, and to get it. To, to sort of get to the point where people really appreciate how cool it could be to go and soapbox their ideas, to share their points of view with as many people as they possibly can. So it, it all starts from the soapbox. And I really ap appreciate the fact that you asked that question because it's that's what the whole concept of a soapbox is. And especially, you know, with musicians, and this was part of, of you know, when 
COVID was really in the first phase of COVID when musicians were just becoming comfortable and sort of the word went out that there was a space that musicians could come and safely play in and that there, you know, I was doing really, really quality streams and certainly way better than practically anything else that I'd seen that was out on, on, on the internet. At that time, musicians were very, very interested in sharing what was going on in their life as a result of COVID. And, you know, emotions were raw and the experience of finally being able to play in with each other in a safe space was really monumental. But also the idea that people were, you know, they'd come and, and it was so typical. People would say, oh, this is weird. You know, I'm playing in an empty room, you know, and, and it's going out to some virtual audience that I can't see. And within five or 10 minutes, they were like, wow, this feels cool. And people were just automatically kind of experiencing the freedom that they could have by in between tunes, just talking to their audience mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of breaking the fourth wall. When, 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 um, when uh, performers get up on stage, certainly this is true of acting, although in Shakespeare, you always had the foil who talked directly to the audience. But, you know, generally speaking, there's this kind of unwritten rule that you, you don't break the fourth wall. You don't sort of change the energy by speaking directly to the, to the audience. And even though in, in music you may, you know, announce a tune or two, there's still a kind of austerity. You know, there's, you don't want to be too friendly because it changes the, the, the dynamic of the experience or can or maybe people are just afraid of that. But with the streaming, what it meant was it... People could engage exclusively on their terms. They could share a very personal story and then go right back into the character of playing the music. You know, there was a certain fluidity that was really wonderful. And what I'm trying to do is to make musicians realize that they are so powerful and musicians collectively are so powerful. Music has been responsible for, for so much evolution of our, of our culture and for good and bad. But mostly for good. And, you know, I'm, I'm out of coming out of the sixties. And so, you know, all of the amazing um, um, uh, messaging that we got from songs out of the sixties was just so hopeful and, and, and so, so, you know, vibrant. And then of course, with the assassinations of our leaders, so much was taken away from us, you know, and, and kind of everything went adrift, but I, I so much try to encourage musicians who play at Soapbox to take a minute and talk to their audience. It could be something as simple as, you know, I'm so happy we're here together in the room. Let's just take a moment to realize that we're on a journey together and I need you as much as you need me to be in this journey. It's a symbiotic relationship. And, um, and let's take a moment and separate from our lives just 20 minutes earlier. And, and now we're in this space together or, you know, even more specifically for musicians to share a point of view about something that's going on in either the big world or their personal world, and to, my, to be mindful of the importance of politics, not in the capital P, you know, Democrat, Republican, I'm not interested in that, but in the small P, the, the politics of how we communicate to each other, our sensitivity, the ability to say something and know when to stop so that you give the other person the opportunity to speak. You know, and Jimmy, you're, you're taking this seriously and that's great. Uh, and the way that you're doing this in this venue at Soapbox Gallery 
I think speaks highly of you and your commitment to message, to communication, mm -hmm. and to music. Mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily in that order, but the room itself, for example, in, in looking uh, at some of the research for our conversation, I noticed uh, that the room has a, a Yamaha grand piano, it has a custom drum kit, it has wall-mounted video cameras, it has an audio channel mixer, overhead stereo mics for recording. You've You've done it right. So you, yeah. you've got yeah. all the pieces in place. Yes. yes. Yeah. I, I, and, and a lot of that, I don't want to sound, you know, like, like a, a weirdo. A lot of that was just the universe providing that. The building I purchased with my credit card, you know, it was a foreclosure and it just came to me. I could never have afforded this if it had been sold at a different, in a different way at a different time. The piano, the same thing. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous Yamaha C7 piano came to me through a friend. A couple was selling it way below the value of it. And it and he got it for me, procured it for me, didn't charge me anything for it. It was all in service to this bigger picture of what I feel very blessed to be, you know, just kind of doing service to you know, just trying to be an agent for. And so my commitment and obligation is to have created and to continue to, to foster a sense in the space that feels inspiring and safe and cared for. And the experience that I get, the feedback always from the musicians and now more from the, the, the people who are coming in, thankfully we have an audience that can come in and support the music it's ongoing so that the musicians feel like there's, you know, there's juice in the room to, to, to um, give them what they need. But it's all about just kind of presenting this in the best way that it can possibly be done. You know, so I, I feel very, very, very lucky. Lucky is not the right word. I feel very fortunate to, um, to be at this place in time in my life. And you know, jazz uh, and other music artists uh, are very grateful for being given that opportunity to mm -hmm. perform in your venue mm -hmm. and, and the word on the street, so to speak, uh, and with the artists that I've spoken to, including uh, Rosanna Vitro, who has a CD release performance coming up at your venue uh, in late October, she was essentially portraying you as, uh, in many ways, a savior, meaning oh. that that you, <laughs> I know it's... Yes, I can, you know, no, 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 I, no. That's kind of maybe, maybe a misnomer, but uh, what she had said was that uh, you were saving so many jazz artists that it was just a wonderful thing that you're doing. And giving people that opportunity, for example, during COVID and the pandemic, when there was not accessibility to the music, you mm -hmm. still provided it virtually and yes. gave the musician something not only to do, but maybe even earn a few dollars mm -hmm. and have that experience of playing their music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very generous. And, and Rosanna's she's, she's a love bug and, and, amazing and i feel very you know a little even embarrassed that she said something so so glorious as that but i will say that it did it has had an amazing function 
And this is true of life. I might have gotten more from it than I gave. It's that reciprocal relationship that the more you give, the more you get. And unfortunately, we don't know that. Not enough people really know that and integrate that into the way that they live their lives. But to touch people is one of the greatest things. And so to be able to have been an agent for that, and, and I'm aware of it, and, and, and it's been hard, you know, economically to keep that going. But and in terms of, you know, the, the, the sacrifice of time and effort and energy to keep it going has is, is been complete, you know. But on the other hand, relevance, being relevant, being of service is, in whatever capacity is, is a very satisfying place to be. And so to have been able to do that for so many remarkable musicians who have dedicated, dedicated their lives to creating something that's so beautiful, feels, I feel very fortunate about. And also uh, what was discussed uh, with myself and Rosanna was the fact that you have now, because pandemic has waned somewhat, uh, and at least back to the stage to where we can have live performance, you not only have typical in-person performance prices, but you have still continued to do the virtual experience. Mm -hmm. And having said that, uh, I got the indication that it, it didn't really matter how much you contributed as long as you contributed something toward the cause and mm -hmm. the opportunity to experience the performance. So if you have five bucks or if you have $50, it right. wouldn't matter. So do you still have that policy in place? Well, we, so this is the story and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a conundrum. We, the whole thing has always been about pay what you can. And the intention was to say, um, you know, if you can afford it, then wonderful. We appreciate that. If you can't, then wonderful. We're happy that you're here. Please just let other people know about Soapbox Gallery and what we're doing, the streaming. And what I discovered, and I, I love that model. And then what I discovered was that there were certain musicians who are more well-known who they didn't resent it, but they, they felt like, well, wait a minute, I want to have just like the other venues are creating a paywall and, you know, somebody has to pay $10 to, to hear the music. There were musicians um, who came and said, look, you know, we'd like to have that because we feel like our reputation is such that people will pay and that this way we don't feel like we're being disrespected, you know, or where people are going to come and not pay because we want to be supported. And I felt, well, that's fair. I understand that. And so we experimented with creating a changing the, the system by which we receive the funds and put up a paywall. And I immediately felt like I lost my soul having done it. And we've now gone back to the pay what you can model. There are musicians who we've just started this thing called the, the Masters Series. And, and one of the things I wanted to showcase were musicians who were older, primarily over the age of 70, who some of them have got their due. Some of them have been very well, you know, uh, uh, recorded and such and have been out there and are famous and others who really deserve to have gotten their due and never really did. So the ones who are well known, I'm amenable to making that a pay what you can, a, a paywall. But the interesting thing is that with human nature, it seems to be 
showing is that when you are generous, when you're generous of spirit and you expect others to be generous of spirit or not expect, but you create the circumstances for them to be generous of spirit, that there are going to be people who never support it. And then there are going to be people who support it in spades, who will pay far in excess of the $10 requirement. And I love that idea. I love, I love playing to that. I love creating a, an alternative where somebody else would say, wow, look at this. This is an unexpected phenomenon. This is something that, that, that we didn't really realize could be brought birthed into the world and grown and, and, and given attention to. Because again, what that does is it creates this evolution of human spirit. It's just a way of now all of a sudden people realizing that, you know, human beings really are generous. They're very cooperative. We're successful on the planet because we are so cooperative. The question is, what are the terms of the cooperation and what are we trying to, who, who's dictating what that is and how are, being, how are we being manipulated or not into being generous and what's the net effect of that? So um, I love the pay what you can model and that is primarily what we're doing. I love the streaming because it enables people who may not be well known and if you don't have to pay to hear them, it gives the artists an opportunity to grow their, their, their career all over the world. It makes the world feel much smaller. And, you know, I'm especially interested in trying to create the situation where I can be streaming five times a week, 20 times a month, where for a nominal amount of money, I can have a subscription series. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build a a new paradigm for musicians because musicians and and unfortunately much of it as a result of um, their own actions and their desire to, to get their work out. So many people don't pay musicians anymore. And I'm trying to figure out how do you, how do you create a situation so that musicians can, if you aggregate small contributions amongst 10,000 people, then all of a sudden you have real money coming in. And if the venues are not greedy, and if their intention is to kind of be the, the means by which the money flows from, from who's giving it to who it should be given to, then you can create a situation where musicians finally get, get paid what they're entitled to get paid. Well, I will tell you that the work you're doing, uh, Jimmy, is, is fantastic and your commitment to it, you're passionate about it, and, and that's, that's really important. The work you're doing at Soapbox Gallery uh, needs to be presented to more and more people as well yes. so that they can share in the experience. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up and, and giving me an opportunity to talk about this. You know, it's, it's, it's dear to my heart. It's, it's the... It really is the focus of my life right now, and I can't think of anything more important to, for me to be doing. One last thing. Uh, how can people learn more about you and the Soapbox Gallery? It's soapboxgallery.org. It's set up very, very simply, and, and it's quite elegant. The website is a beautiful website, and they just go on that. They'll get into the site. They can click on live stream. We keep the last three streams up for three days. Um, so if somebody's playing tonight that will appear for the next three days it's all free it's you know based on a pay what you wish model and uh i i would be 
I would be thrilled to have a deluge of people who are sort of checking us out now. It's, it's, um, it would be an amazing thing. Well, I will say, Jimmy Greenfield, the work you are doing is absolutely admirable and uh, deserves the attention of multitudes of people. And uh, you are a good man uh, with a great heart and soul and a passion, not only for music, but the arts and humanity as well. I'd like to thank you very much for being our guest on All That's Jazz. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be your guest. I really appreciate it. It's been a wonderful time having this conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Jimmy Greenfield, the owner-operator of Soapbox Gallery in Brooklyn, New York. We'd like to thank Ben Cedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.